Uh, so uh, we won't waste any time today. We're going to go ahead and jump right into uh, this thing, this story from the book of Acts. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to, uh, to the book of Acts. It's, it's in the New Testament right after the book of John. So we've been in the book of Acts for the last uh, few weeks now, looking at the early church and talking about how the church is a movement. It's not just a building uh, with pews and steeples and seats. Uh, it's, it's not something that you go to. Church is something that that you are, and you are part of a movement. And so where we left off in the story of the early church is that these early followers of Jesus, uh, they're being pretty bold. They're, they're standing up for their faith, what they believe in. They get thrown in jail a couple of times. Uh, they get flogged. They get beaten really, really badly. They actually rejoice in it, um, which is just a crazy thing. And they have this, this relentless obedience to Jesus and this bold before men. It's, it's just really surprising. But then as we're going to see today, is that things begin to change a little bit. And so as the church grows, uh, new leaders begin to rise up as the church begins to expand. We still have the 12 apostles. They're still around. But as the church grows, some new leaders rise up. And one of those new leaders is a man named Stephen. Stephen is a deacon in the church, which means he's essentially a server. He's one that goes around uh, primarily feeding the hungry, uh, taking care of the poor in the city of Jerusalem because, well, that's what the church does. Anyways, Stephen is doing his thing, feeding the hungry. And while he's doing it, he's talking about his own experience of how he has found new life through Jesus Christ. The temple leaders at the time, they, they didn't like this a whole lot. And so uh, they either uh, hired some people to blackmail Stephen or, or they paid them uh, to, to kind of give this false testimony about some things that Stephen had, had said. And they, they create this like smear campaign against Stephen. And so the temple leaders have Stephen drugged before them, uh, before this council, this jury that they themselves sit on for a trial. And so they ask him if these accusations that are brought against him are actually true, which of course they're not true because they've hired these people to say and make up these false claims about Stephen. So of course they're not true. This whole thing is rigged from the beginning. Uh, but Stephen, standing there on trial in this unjust rigged system, he doesn't try to defend himself. Instead, what he does is that he tries to defend his faith. And he gives one of the longest dialogues. It is the longest dialogue in the entire Bible. We're not going to go through it all, uh, but it's found in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen defends his belief that Jesus is the Messiah by going before this court of uh, these religious leaders and talking about how Jesus is the Messiah uh, from all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament right up until this moment. And Stephen says, essentially, he says, hey, look, you can do with me whatever it is that you want, but I haven't broken God's law. I, I haven't broken the law of Moses, but you have. And he puts the religious leaders on trial. And so look at what happens next. This is Acts chapter 7 verse 54. It says, once the council members heard these words, they were enraged and began to grind their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, enabled by the Holy Spirit, 
stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and Jesus standing at God's right side. He exclaimed, look, I can see heaven on display and the human one standing at God's right side. At this, they shrieked and covered their ears. Together, they charged at him, threw him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses placed their coats in the care of a young man named Saul. Keep an eye out for that young man named Saul. He's going to show up later in the story. And if you know the story, you know what happens. Anyways, as they battered him, Stephen, with stones, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, accept my life. Falling to his knees, he shouted, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Then he died. I mean, that's just crazy. A crazy, tragic story. And, and it only gets more tragic. That in fact, the day that, Jesus, that Stephen is stoned to death, this mob goes out and begins harassing the rest of the Christians that are there in Jerusalem. And so these Christians, they begin to flee their homes, flee their cities, and they go out into the countryside, into the areas of of Judea and Samaria. And that actually fulfills what Jesus said when he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And the leader of this persecution of the early followers of Jesus is none other than that young man who is holding the coats of Stephen's murder. A young man by the name of Saul. You see, Saul was so inspired by the stoning of Stephen that he makes it his life goal to persecute the church. That, that he believes that, that his calling in life is to stop the growth of this Jesus movement. And so he begins to arrest and kill followers of Jesus and he becomes the greatest threat to Christianity in its early infancy stages. And, and by, by Saul persecuting the church, What he actually did was he began to drive these Christians out into the countryside, out into other regions. The the irony of this. It's like when you you smack a hornet's nest, when you hit a hornet's nest and you take it down at your house, the hornets go crazy, they start flying, but then they just go build another nest on the other side of your house or on your neighbor's house. And so Saul, by persecuting the church, he's actually spreading the gospel message unintentionally throughout the rest of the countryside. But after three years of persecuting the church, something miraculous happened. Look at what it says in in Acts chapter 9 now. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still, this is something ongoing in his life, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Essentially, he goes to the high priest and and asks permission for no-knock warrants against Christians. If he found persons who belonged to the way. Now, let's just pause here for a second because this is so fascinating. that That the first Christians were not called Christians. Instead, they were called followers of the way. Because Christianity was not a set of beliefs. It, it wasn't about a doctrine. It, it, was, it didn't have volumes of theological writings. That, that this early Jesus movement was about a way. 
a way of life, a, a way to life, that abundant life that Jesus promises us. And so Saul is on the hunt for anyone who is belonging to the way. Goes on, it says, whether men or women, those letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, and pay attention to this. He heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Now, if the church was the church, the way that most of us think of the church, this voice would have said, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing it? It being the church, the institution, the, the organization, the building, the pastors, the people, which I'm sure Saul thought, what do you mean, why are you harassing me? I'm, I'm not harassing a me. I'm not persecuting a pronoun. I'm persecuting an it. But then Saul asked in, in his confusion, Saul asked, who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I am Jesus, whom, it's a person, you are harassing, came the reply. Implication, Jesus says, what you do to them, you do to me. That, that my people are my presence on earth. This movement is now the scattered representation of Jesus in the world. So Jesus goes on in verse 6 and it says, Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. He was blinded by the light. Literally, that's where that phrase comes from. Not Manford, man's earth band or anything like that, okay? That's where this phrase comes from. So, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. He was just there praying, because his whole world had been turned upside down. What just happened to me? Meanwhile, there's another man in Damascus. And, and this is where the story gets really, really interesting. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias. He answered, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, go to Judas's house on Straight Street, which is just a street that was actually straight, and ask for a man, uh, for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. And Ananias probably thought, mm, that name sounds really familiar. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered. I love this. Lord... I have heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He is here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, go. Go, this man is the agent I have 
chosen, hold on to that word, to carry my name before the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people of the world, kings and Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see, God chooses the most unlikely candidate to spread the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people. I mean, here's public enemy number one of the church, and God says, yep, that's who it's going to be. This is my chosen one. I mean, God must be insane. God must be insane choosing a terrorist of the church to actually expand the church. God has gone mad here. But here's the thing. God can change anybody, and God can use anybody. And everybody that God uses has some issues. If, if I can just run the list for you for a moment, okay? Noah was a drunk, and God used him. Moses was a murderer, and God used him. Rahab was a prostitute, and God used her. Samson was just a hot mess, and God used him. Ruth was this outsider, and God used her. David was an adulterer, and God used him. Peter was this hothead. God used him. Matthew was a tax collector, and God used him. Jason Knott was a, that's none of your business, but God used him. That God can change anybody. God can change anybody and God can use anybody. But here's the struggle that we have, right? Because then the question that that we have when God calls us and says, "You're, you're chosen, you're it, you're my agent, we say, but what if they don't believe me? What if they don't accept the change that has happened in my life? What, what if Ananias doesn't believe me? What if people want to hold me hostage to who I used to be and not accept who I am today? And, and we get that, right? Because can you imagine how Ananias would have felt going up, walking up to this door, knocking on it to meet his greatest enemy face to face? I mean, this is a man who has stood against everything that Ananias has stood for. But still, Ananias boldly goes, knocks on the door, meets Saul, lays hands on him, and it says that that something like scales fell from his eyes, and they prayed together. You see, this is about the conversion of Ananias just as much as it is about the conversion of Saul. Because Ananias finds out what God is capable of doing, even to his own enemy. So Ananias says to Saul, he says, look, Saul, God's done something amazing. You're no longer called Saul. You're going to be called Paul. And God has given you this message to go and share with the entire world. You'll have to read the rest of the book of Acts to see how Saul, now Paul's story, plays out. And while you're at it, read the rest of the New Testament because Paul wrote about a third of it. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, about how Paul went from city to city preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had no clue who Jesus was, to to people who, who were not looking for a Jewish Messiah, people who had no concept of God's law, 
people who had no concept that they had broken God's law, people like you and me who were asking this question, what is this message? And really, what difference does it make in my life? What's, what's the takeaway? What am I supposed to do with this new information? What difference does it make in my life? And so Saul, a changed man, now Paul, came with a very simple gospel message. And the clearest statement of the gospel that we have comes from one of Paul's letters to a church in Corinth that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is one of the clearest definitions of, of what the gospel message is. Listen to this. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I want to call your attention to the good news that I preached to you. Paul had actually started this church some time ago, and he's telling them, hey, remember when I was with you in person and I shared this gospel message with you? I'm just here to remind you of that, which you also received and in which you stand. You are being saved through it if you hold on to the message I preached to you, unless somehow you believed it for nothing. I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This, this is the most important thing, that if you forget everything else, if you get confused along the way, if you have doubts along the way, if you have no clue what John is talking about in his book of Revelation, that, that's fine. Here's the most important thing. Here's the thing that you have got to hold on to. And he says, Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures. He was buried that's how you know that he died, because that's what you do when someone dies. You bury them. And he rose on the third day in line with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at once. At, at once. Did you know that? That it's not like these early followers of Jesus just had these random, uh, mysterious visions of Jesus, or Jesus appeared to them in his dreams, in their dreams, but, but actually 500 people all at once saw the resurrected Jesus. Paul says most of them are still alive to this day, though some have died. He's saying, Look, I, I know this whole resurrection thing is, is hard to wrap your mind around. I, I know it's a hard thing to believe, but there were more than 500 people who saw Jesus resurrected. And if you don't believe me, Corinthians, then go ahead and get on a boat and go over to Jerusalem and you can talk to them because most of them are still there and still alive today. Paul goes on and he says, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as if I were born at the wrong time. That's an interesting thing. I am the least important of the, of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. Now, now, now why, would, why would Paul say that? When, when he spent over a decade of his life traveling around the known world, spreading the good news of Jesus. He's been beaten, he's been jailed, all for this message. Why do you say that, Paul? You're the least important. He says, because, because I harassed God's church. I know my past, but then look what he says. I am what I am by God's 
grace. And God's grace hasn't been for nothing. For nothing. Isn't that powerful? God's grace hasn't been for nothing. It it hasn't been without effect on my life. It, It hasn't been without leaving a deep impression within my life and my soul. Look, I don't know why God chose me to bring the good news to you. I, I'm, the, I'm the least qualified, Paul says, but God chose me and chose me by grace. Even though I've messed up in my past, I know it's in my past. God still chose me to bring this simple gospel message. Christ died for your sins. He was buried, he rose, and he appeared. Christ died for your sins, for my sins. He was buried, he rose for your sake and mine, and he appeared for some of you. For some of you, the most important question of Christianity that you have to wrestle to the ground is that message of the simple gospel. Do you believe, do you accept that, that, that Jesus died for your sins, died for my sins, died for all, all of our sins? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? that he was buried, that he rose for, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, that he appeared. That's the question that you have to wrestle with. That's the gospel. Have you ever, have you ever embraced that simple gospel message? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. And, and for some of us, you, you've accepted that message maybe, maybe a long time ago. Maybe it's been a long time, but, but now the question that, that you have to wrestle with is, are you willing to step into Paul's shoes? <laughs> this, this pattern that, that he gave us. You see, Jesus gave his life for Saul to become Paul. Paul gave his life for everyone to know Jesus. Jesus gave his life for Saul to become Paul. Paul gave his life for everyone to know Jesus. God's grace wasn't wasted on him. It wasn't without effect. It wasn't for nothing. And so the question is, is what effect has God's grace had on your life? Look, you, you don't have to be the next Paul. You don't have to quit your job and become a missionary. Maybe you do. You don't have to go to seminary. Maybe you do. Maybe God's calling you to that. But really, the question is, what are you going to do with this new lease on life? What are you going to do now that God has said, look, I know your past, but I'm still choosing you to be my agent. I'm still choosing you to be the one to go and spread this good news. I'm, I'm, I'm still choosing you to go. You may seem unqualified. That's fine. You're still the one to go. But what are, what are you going to do now that the scales have, have fallen from your eyes? What, what change are you going to bring to the world around you now that you have been changed? Because Jesus gave his life for you. Now, what are you going to do with your life? Let me pray for us. So God, thank you for your grace that's so profound and yet so simple. A simple gospel 
that you died for us. You rose for us so that we could have life in you. Lord, for some of us who, who, have, who have struggled and questioned and doubted, I, I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would just bring clarity around that simple gospel message that you gave your life for them. And Lord, that simple message also calls us into something greater. That your grace calls us to a greater way to live. That your grace wouldn't be lost on us, Lord. But that it would change us so that we could change the world. Lord, help us to lean into that with boldness. Wherever you're calling us to go, may the scales fall from our eyes, O God, that we may walk in your light and lead people in your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.